This is the Empowered Conversations with Aline and Christina podcast. We are two educators of color that have been in the game for over 15 years. Thanks for joining us as we break down and speak on systems that were not built for Black, Indigenous people of color and the ways we address them head on. As we lean on each other in this work, it would be big for us if you took a moment to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to them. Also, follow us on Instagram at Empowered Conversations Pod, where we build community and support one another in this work. All right, let's get into this episode. Welcome back to the Empowered Conversations podcast with Aline and Christina, episode 16. I'm Aline, co-host of this podcast. I've been in education for 16 years as a school counselor and a former high school assistant principal. I currently work at the high school level in the Bay Area. And I'm Christina, the other co-host of this podcast. This is my 17th year in education. I was a former high school English teacher, former assistant principal and co-principal. I'm currently a site level administrator program specialist at a middle school in the Bay Area. Hey y'all. So in our last podcast, we discussed something that Christina used called the four R's and how to use them to start the school year. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, go back and check it out so you can understand further what the four R's are. So before we get into today's episode, let's do our quick check-in. Christina, why don't you tell me what's on the top of your mind today for this week? For this week, um, the top of my, I, I really am, I feel like somewhat I'm getting a feel for the school year. I, I wouldn't say things are settling down, mm-hmm. but I am feeling the vibe and what, um, what my limits are. And so the top of my mind is really focusing on getting out of work at a decent hour. And when I say decent hour, I'm talking about pressing my uh, car engine button no later than 4.30 and and not taking any work home. So we'll see how that goes. I'll let Mm -hmm. y'all know how that goes in our next podcast episode. But Aline, what is on the top of your mind for this week? Oh man, um, very similar to yours. So for me, it's definitely, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's settling down. Um, since the last episode, we now have, you know, students back and we've gone through the first two weeks of school. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's a very bizarre time. And I don't know, it's amplified, I feel like now that we're all back in person and there's so many questions at all at all, at all, all hours um it's always switching up and so it just almost leaves you oh, like on edge um more than usual but I mean I guess for me too it's like I got to the point where I only have control over myself and so mm-hmm. I'm gonna do what I need to do to keep myself safe to get my job done and to just you know want to show up the next day so that has been meaning like leaving work on time or what I haven't been doing is taking my duty-free lunch Mm. um, and actually like sitting uninterrupted to like eat something even if it's less than 30 minutes I've just been eating while working and that's something that I've reflected on today that I want to transition out of Um, and really make it a priority to give myself that uninterrupted time to just eat my food. Mm. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. It's only the second week of school or the third, we're entering the third week of school and it's already just feeling, I had an administrator the other day say to me, like, is it May yet? I'm like, dude, it's not even September. (laughs) (laughs) 
so it's just like I know we're not alone though because I feel like I've been hearing that everywhere so I don't know yeah we just gotta hang in there I guess yeah um I mean thank you for bringing that up I mean I I, I don't have a duty-free lunch right but um I need to make time for lunch. I, I feel like for the past two weeks, um, my lunch has been um, between three and three thirty, and I, I can't. I, I know. Yeah. I, I can't be doing that. Um, mm. So yes, that's also going to be on the top of my mind, on the top of my list for sure. So. Um, Let's just get into this episode then. So, so Aline, as you guys know, Aline and I have shared in our past episodes and blogs that we are making it our personal mission to revolutionize the K-12 system. We want to be more than allies. We strive to be what Dr. Bettina Love calls co-conspirators. We want to shake up the current systemic practices that currently hinder our BIPOC students we want to empower our youth by providing them equitable opportunities to su succeed in school, within the community, and overall in life. But the question is, where do we start? So Aline and I, as we have mentioned before, we wrote a book for school, school leaders, and yes, it's coming out soon, on how to reflect upon and revolutionize the current K-12 system practices that will specifically help school leaders plan equitable and culturally responsive school processes, protocols, projects, and events. But before one could revolutionize a school, it starts with school leaders. So Aline, talk us through how school leaders can transform from being an ally to a co-conspirator. Let's discuss the ways. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure there's more than this, but right now on the top of our minds as we were brainstorming and thinking through this and just reflecting on a few of the conversations we've had in the past week or so, um, there's seven things that we can think of that a school leader can transition from being an ally to a co-conspirator. I'll quickly list them, but then we're gonna dive deep into each of them. So um, first one is knowing your why. Number two, understanding the difference between ally and co-conspirator. Three, recognizing and addressing your implicit biases and microaggressions. Four, understanding your role as a school leader. Five, building an equitable admin team. Six, self-reflection and really focusing in on mindsets. And seven, self-care. So the first one, when we say know your why, what is it and why is it important? And this is something that, you know, Christine and I go back and forth with a lot, like for a while now, even when we first started our um, collaborative conversation series in the summer after um, the murder of George Floyd, where it's like the hashtag why became an educator really centering yourself on why it is that you entered into that classroom, into that school building, into that office to educate and empower your, you, our youth. Um, so really going back to that and asking yourself, why is it that I am, why am I doing this? What is my purpose in this field? And what am I trying to work at? And it's important because it really takes you back to the basics. It takes you back to what it is like why you're like really your purpose why are you there um there was a youtube video that christina shared with me um, by michael jr that we'll also link in our show notes called know your why and it's just you know really it, it you should watch it because it kind of gives you this really short visual around really understanding your why and the difference between someone who you know knows what they're, or just, just doing something to do it because they know what they're supposed to do versus the person who does it because they understand their purpose of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so to check that out, but knowing your why is the first thing. Can um, I say something about that? Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the process of reflecting on my why or knowing my why, it has definitely 
made me more, um, it has made me an unapologetic person. Mm -hmm. It has made me become more focused. It has made me become more of a, a, a fearless leader. And I, I say that because as a school administrator, especially um, when you're trying to introduce new school initiatives or you're trying to change, modify, revolutionize current school initiatives, there's always that fear of, um, you're afraid of how the staff is going to respond, afraid of making the adults feel uncomfortable. So it either prevents you from really going through with it or you don't do it at all. Or you kind of um, tiptoe around the real issues. But knowing my why and reflecting on my why, knowing my purpose, it has, I'm, I am embracing discomfort now. Mm -hmm. I, I am looking forward to talking about implicit bias, microaggression. I'm happy to enforce, um, to enforce our new uh, progressive discipline uh, matrix and processes and protocols because I'm able to sleep at night knowing that I'm doing what is best for the students, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's my purpose is that whatever I do is best for the students, mm -hmm. so. Yes, absolutely. Definitely watch that YouTube video. I feel like it clearly explains why it is very important to know your why. Yeah, for sure. And it also helps you. I mean, for me, I, I think when I reflect on my why or remind myself of my why, because sometimes it's like I'm clear of my story about why I enter the profession. But when I sometimes I need to remind myself of it. And I notice that when I do that, I like plan my day differently. My projects are different. You know, my interactions with students and families are different because they outweigh the meetings I have to attend or, you know, setting different, like, you know, following a certain agenda. Um, so I don't know. So yeah, I, knowing your why is definitely the first thing. The second thing is understanding the def the difference between ally and co-conspirator. I think, you know, we especially around all that is happening and happened around equity and the focus on schools and our youth really taking the lead on, you know, protesting in the streets and demanding changes in their own environment, especially in schools. We all talk about being an ally, that we're on their side, we understand them, we're there for them. But there's a difference when we talk about being a co-conspirator. And so the way that I see it or that we see it and one way to explain it is an ally is someone, you know, that talks the talk. Like they know what to say. They know, you know, the issues. They know how to explain it. They know their stance on it, their opinion on it. Mm -hmm. um, but a co-conspirator is the one that walks the walk. So it goes beyond the talking. It's actually walking the walk. There's this, form, there's this action that's being done. And so that's important because I think now, especially like we've been in this field for um, 15 plus years and we've, the talk has been talked. Mm -hmm. And so we're, right. So we're at, <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of us, especially educators of color, as we attend these equity talks and hear the vision and mission from the superintendent, it's like, yeah, we've been saying these things. So it's important to understand the difference between the two because we're at the point now where what are we actually doing? What does the action look like? How are we walking the, the walk? And how are we as school leaders doing that and transforming what it is that we say into it, what it is that we do? And so one thing that I recommend um, well, that we recommend, because this is something that we go back to so many times, is the book by Dr. Patina Love, We Want to Do More Than Survive. If you haven't read it, please check it out. Um, it, there's a lot there. She um, definitely goes more into detail as far as like the difference between an ally and co-conspirator. And the entire book just really 
reshapes and reframes the way you look at things. Absolutely. That, that book is definitely school leader Bible. It, it's one of the top five books, all mm -hmm. educators, whether you're a teacher, counselor, school administrator, you need to read that book. Mm -hmm. So our third recommendation of how a school leader can transition from an ally to a, to a co-conspirator is by recognizing your implicit biases and microaggressions. So just to do a very quick definition, um, real quick, implicit bias, their unconscious attitudes and stereotypes that affect our thoughts and interactions with certain groups of people, which in a sense goes hand in hand with microaggression. Mm -hmm. So microaggression is subtle and verbal and nonverbal snubs and insults served to invalidate marginalized groups. So why is it important to recognize as a school leader, to recognize your own personal implicit biases and microaggressions? It affects the way that you implement your school initiatives. I think uh, the number one thing that, um, that comes to the top of my head is the way that you enforce discipline on your campus or the way your, your climate and cultural practices. And I've mentioned this before in at least two other podcasts. You mm -hmm. can have a bomb ass process, process and protocol, but if you, have, if you haven't addressed your implicit biases and microaggressions, are you truly implementing that protocol? Mm -hmm. Right, like it's, it, it really affects your mindset of how you, um, how, are you, how you are making your decisions and how you're making your judgment calls because your, your implementation, your judgment calls without addressing your implicit biases and microaggressions, it, it could affect the way you interact with certain teachers, with certain students, with certain students of color, their, their culture. So you, you need to be more aware of that. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot to learn about implicit bias and microaggression. I mean, that could be a whole podcast series, right? Yeah. Um, but oh, the question is, <clears throat> I, I've been getting this, I've been asked this is how, how could I, how could I, what could help me recognize and address my, uh, my implicit biases and microaggressions? Well, what I've been doing and what I've been um, practicing and reading with my climate and culture or my PBIS team is a book by Zaretta Hammond, and it's called Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. Of course, I recommend the entire book. I, I'm, I'm reading it again for the third time, but... I highly recommend that you read chapter four because that uh, chapter four, it, it, it takes you through a process to help you recognize your implicit biases and microaggressions. It, it's pretty deep. Like it, I, I did this exercise uh, with my PBIS team where it makes, it explains it. The first step is by reflecting on your childhood. Mm -hmm and your, your K-12 experience, because your childhood uh, and, and your K-12 experiences, it really made it, it, it shaped a lot of your implicit biases and your microaggressions. So definitely check that book out. Okay, so our fourth recommendation is understanding your role as a school leader. All right, so <laughs> I feel like Aline, I mean, we're just gonna quickly touch on this, but Aline, I, I feel like um, this should all, this is also a podcast episode all by itself. Maybe we can combine 
four and five here, but well, okay. But all, I think all of these, like, yeah, I mean, for sure, all for of sure. these things can be expanded upon. And so right now, it's like, this is like the, this is the list. And these are some things to think about, but it's not covering every single part of it. Go ahead. Okay, absolutely. So understanding your role as a school leader. So first and foremost, knowing your vision and mission. I think this connects back to the why. In a sense, everything's all interconnected, but I feel like this is like a direct correlation to knowing your why, because when you know your vision and mission, you know what your purpose is, right? And so um, when you know your vision, um, it, it helps you as a school leader prioritize and reshape your school initiatives. It will help school leaders narrow their focus and roles and responsibilities. Because right now, school leaders, we are masters of none. We are taught to accept that being a school leader, you wear 50 plus hats, 75 plus hats. And when you're a principal, you, you wear 75 plus hats, right? And, and as school administrators, we are judged when you don't do them well. And you are judged by, it could be people from the district office, staff, community members, parents. But in a sense, it's like when you are master of none or you are wearing 50 plus, 75 plus hats, it's in a sense, you're, you're set up for failure. Yeah. Well, and it's also like when you, it go, like you said, going back to your understanding your why and how this is connected to understanding your school's vision and mission, it helps you not like, I don't want to say stand firm in the decisions that you're making, mm. but it, it, it connects all the decision-making to a very clear and transparent process of the vision and mission. Because we know the vision and mission is posted everywhere. It's on, it should be on the website. It might be posted all, all around campus and classrooms and the principal's office. Um, I mean, I've, I've been reading about like how it's not just having a vision and mission written out, but it's also how do we act under the vision and mission? How are we modeling this vision and mission? And so it goes back to like understanding your own why and connected to the school that you're leading, that vision and mission, how it all connects towards supporting our students. And then also, school leaders, when we say vision and mission, we're not talking about the vision and mission statement that was already there when you took the right. job, right? That was made, I don't know, five, 10 years ago. Or when WASP came? When what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Right? Like, we're not talking about that one. We're talking about the vision and mission statement that you created or perhaps you edited and modified based on your current students' needs. Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about and to help you think and reflect on that. Aline and I, we, we, um, we're sharing a freebie with y'all. Um, it's posted on our website. Aline, where, where else is it posted? It's in our link in our Instagram bio. Um, and I'll also link it in the show notes. So it'll be there as well. Yeah, ch check out um, that template that we're sharing with you because it, it is a process. It is a process for school leaders who are at a school site where uh, their vision and mission statement might need some fine tuning. Um, and maybe you're like, well, I don't know if it needs fine tuning. Well, this template, it will help you reflect if it does. It will help you figure out if, if it does need some fine tuning. Because remember your vision and mission statement, it should, be, it should be current and it should reflect your current student and staff's needs. Your, let me rephrase that. It should reflect your current school community's needs. All right, 
Well, number five, it's actually very closely connected to number four. So number four is, you know, you're, you're focusing on yourself as a school leader, right? Understanding your role. Well, now it's building an equitable admin team. Building an equitable admin team. So what does that encompass? So as a team, your, your focus is really to, to once again, are, are y'all on the same page, mm-hmm. right? Everyone has to be on the same page. You need to review that vision and mission together always, right? All your decisions, all your planning, all your reflections should always link back up to that vision and mission statement, which then will bleed into building those, building a trusting relationship with your admin team. Because y'all, y'all go through, y'all are it. Like you guys plan things together. You go through ups and downs together. You guys help each other get through the school year, right? It's lonely at the top, right? There's a, depending on how big your admin team is, especially if you're an elementary school teacher, I'm elementary school principal. Sometimes you're, you're the only one on your team. Yeah. Right. But middle school and high school, you have more people on your team. So it's imperative, it's essential mm-hmm. that, um, that you guys build a trusting uh, relationship and, and keep the vision and mission statement at your focus. So the question is, is how, what are some things to think about as you are building uh, your, your equitable admin team? So how are you organizing your admin team? Are you dividing and assigning the roles and responsibilities equally or equitably? Who is in charge of instruction? Who is in charge of climate and culture? Who is assigned over discipline? And is there a particular reason why you are assigning certain people those positions? Does your admin team keep the same roles and responsibilities from year to year? Or do they change? Are you training your admin team to be a jack of all trades? So in other words, masters of none? Or are you, are you training them in the mindset of maybe one day you want to become a future school principal? If so, how are you doing it? So yes, that's a lot of questions, and uh, <laughs> and um, the number one thing that comes to my mind, Aline, is dividing up those roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I remember when, with one of my f- first admin teams, we had to figure out how to divide up the roles and responsibilities. And okay, my first year, especially since I was going into my first year as an AP in the middle of the school year, I really didn't have a choice of what my roles and responsibilities were. Like I I was filling in, I was coming in with filling Mm -hmm. in someone else's role, right? I think I'm mainly talking about the following year. So the following year, what we did was the principal, he chose, like he already had like a list of roles and responsibilities already set. And then he had like on little magnets, like all the other roles and responsibilities, there was like 50. Right. And there we were like an admin team of four, I think, four or five. So it's like, all right, you have your set that he already he he already made up his mind, like this is what you're gonna do. And then for the 50, we would literally all take turns and mm. choose the, the magnet, right? And then of course, you know who got to choose first is like the administrator who had um the most uh seniority, right? Or years of experience. 
So that's how we divided up the roles and responsibility. So in a sense, it's like you did get to choose what you were interested in, but then there were certain ones where we had to admit like, all right, well, for instance, testing, right? <laughs> so we had like each standardized test on a magnet we had to evenly, quote, unquote, evenly divide the, um, the magnets, like each person had to choose at least one state test or district test to be fair. What are your thoughts on this, Celine? Or experiences? Well, I mean, it's an interesting way to think about it. And I also think like, when you say building an equitable admin team, sometimes you're not like building it from scratch. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, unless you're coming into a school where you get to, the principal gets to hire all of their own, you know, assistant principals, which is typically not the case. You're coming into a team that's, you know, all over the place. Some have been there for a few years, some are just starting out. You might be coming in as a new principal on these eight, assistant principals have been there for years and so I do think like it is something that should be shifted every year and like discussed and evaluated and I really do think that it involves conversations as a team to say like what are you what are you envisioning for yourself like what are some areas that you do want to learn and that you feel like you need some more practice or what are some areas that you have down and you really want to keep it going because you are want to work with another administrator on your team to pass it on for the following year. So I just don't feel like it needs to be like, we have 50 things, let's divide them by four. Because <laughs> that's how it was, real talk. And I, and I get that things need to get done, but maybe in one year, something doesn't. And something because I kind of just added on to all of the administrators to kind of check in when that thing is coming up to say like, all right, where are we at? And who get who can do this? Or who needs to split this? I just feel like I don't see this enough. And I'd be curious if any of the listeners have experiences where there is a more like thoughtful process on assigning roles and responsibilities for the administrative team. But like, I feel like the only, I don't even know. So one school or one, well, it's not even a district practice. One school that I worked at, we did get evaluated by the staff as administrators. So we had a yearly like um, evalu staff evaluations where they you know, gave us feedback as the school leaders. And I remember that you know we would go through the, the, the feedback and it felt like a good time to kind of like shift things around but unfortunately at that time the principal kind of did or tried to do but was I don't know uneasy about having a conversation with one of the assistant principals to shift some things around so it just has to go back to like really following through on your vision and mission, understanding your role as a school leader, as the principal in that sense, to then understand how you are dividing up those responsibilities for your administrators. Because sometimes it isn't about it being equal. Sometimes it is to be like, you know what, let's follow through on what your goals are for this year. And maybe it does mean that you're gonna take on all the tests because you haven't done any in the past. And this is something that you really wanna understand and building those relationships and those organizational still skills with one, executing the plan, but two, you know, making sure that the teachers are on board and feel heard in the process. Um, so I don't know, I just, I don't think it's something that you can have a, a grid that you just put the name of the person coming in at the top of it, which is what I often see. Yeah, I, I, um, I definitely agree with you um, in terms of like 
changing the roles and responsibilities each year. I, I don't, for me, I, I don't necessarily think that it needs to be changed every year. Uh, it should definitely be reflected on yeah. to if there are any possible changes or even talk about why, like if you decide as an admin team, you decide that that member needs to keep that same roles and responsibilities or keep that same particular role and responsibility, like why that's important and how that administrator who's in charge of the same role and responsibility the following year, let's talk about how that person is gonna take it to the next level, right? Cause it's mm -hmm. like th the conversation should be, we're not gonna let you keep this as a team because you're used to it, you know, you're, you're comfortable. We're not trying to do comfort, mm -hmm. right? It's like we are, but we aren't. Well, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to strive for excellence. So yes, you have it. What are you going to do and how are we going to measure it? Um, and one more thing that I want to say before we move on to the next one is really utilizing your, your mm -hmm. team members, yeah, Re really utilizing them. So if, if you're choosing someone, for instance, um, to be an instructional leader, right? Usually the, the principal is the instructional leader, but sometimes you, you have your, your an AP or a VP that helps you out with that, right? It's, you really need to decide as a team if that's what we want that person to focus on, is it fair to assign that particular administrator all these small little tasks because it's just something that we've done in the past? Like that's tradition. Like everyone has to go to this meeting because that's just what admins do. We, we all go there together as a team or everyone has to supervise lunch mm -hmm. because that's just what we do. Um, and, and yes, it's for school safety, but I guess what I'm trying to say is school leaders, you really need to think about all the things that you are expecting your admin team to do because that was what was being done in the past. There are certain things that you have to sacrifice and let go mm -hmm. if you really want to see some systemic changes. Yeah. Because if you're gonna be the instructional leader or if you're gonna be the person in charge of master scheduling, if whatever it may be, right? Like, and, and, and there's a, a role and responsibility that just takes up a lot of time and a lot of thought and effort. It's like, you can't be splitting their time and assigning them all these minuscule roles and responsibilities and tasks, daily tasks that prevent them from like really thinking and planning to make those huge changes at your school, because that's just the thing that that's always been done. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you should secrecy that space right now. <laughs> I think that's a that's really like the number point. one thing that I really can't stand is when mm -hmm. I hear, and it, this is not just administrators, it's teachers too, it's counselors, it's everybody in the freaking education system. Well, in the past, yeah, or traditionally, and you're just like, okay, well, is it working? Right. D did we get a blue ribbon last year? No. Right. Did we get 100% graduation rate? Okay, no. So until then, until you don't, until you got that blue ribbon, until you got 100% attendance, until you get 100% graduation, 100% college and career, like it's stated, you got documented that everybody's in, in either in a college, a four year, a two year or some career track. No, like you don't want to ever use that statement. Well, in the past. 
one, I think that goes nice, like it goes nicely into the next one. This uh, number six, the idea of self-reflection. And sometimes I, you know, a lot of these things or decisions or just patterns that we fall into happen because we don't take the time to stop and ask ourselves these important questions, which then comes into the form of like self-reflection and really thinking about it as mindset. And something that you said the other day, which actually inspired this entire episode, Christina, was, you know, it's not, it's in order to revolutionize the K-12 system, we have to revolutionize the mindset of the school leader, of the mm. site administrator. And, you know, we have some school administrators or school leaders that continue to do things the same way because for many reasons, whether it be fear, whether it be not, mostly it's fear. A lot of times it's fear and not really understanding their own selves and like what they're willing to take risks for. Um, and I think that through self-reflection, it allows you to uncover some of those fears and really helps strengthen that vision that you have for your school, for the student outcomes, for school, like staff morale, all of those things. And it could take on, so self-reflection can take on in so many different ways, different forms, different processes. And we've introduced a few. I mean, last podcast episode, we talked about the four R's and using those like how to um, reflect, review, relearn and restart. All those, the, you know, though that's one reflection process. It could be simply just asking yourself the questions that we did around understanding your role, you know, and, when, and how you build an equitable admin team. These are all reflection questions that you don't necessarily have to answer to anybody but yourself. You write it out, you look at it, you think through it, you see how it changes over time. Um, and it could happen as often as you want to. It should happen annually at a staff, like at an admin retreat before the staff comes back, before students enter your hallways. Um, I like to try to do it weekly. Hmm. Sometimes I'm doing it more than once a week because, and I, I, I did something um, on an Instagram story recently about, you know, especially like we want to think about this on the bad days, but sometimes it's good to do some self-reflection on the good days. Mm -hmm. Like when things went well, or when you had like an amazing interaction with a student or a family or district, um, you know, a district official, whatever you want to say, just reflecting on like, what, what, how did that feel? What got it there? What are some things that led to that point that you want to continue so really taking the time to ask yourself the questions and there's, you can ask any questions it Could be simply like what went well, what didn't, what I want to do next time, or it could be the four R's or it could, it could be like my why reminding yourself what you are, what, you know, why you're there, what you're doing, what your purpose is. Um, but really it, it gets to the mindset of things so that you're constantly looking at and asking yourself these important questions so that you can shift that mindset from that of like, I have to do these things because if I don't, you know, the superintendent's gonna get mad or this veteran teacher is gonna be upset because of X, Y, and Z. But really looking at the mindset of like, why am I actually here? What do the students actually need? How am I delegating or assigning roles to my administrators, to my, you know, teachers on special assignment, to my department chairs? How am I really making sure that we're all on the same page, but that I feel grounded enough in my own vision and my own why that I'm able to shift not just my mindset, but the mindset of those that I work with. And so that's where like, I, I really, you know, value self-reflection. Christine and I both ground ourselves in self-reflection. It's what kept us coming back every school year. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's 
it's an it's a it's something that should not be left it's something that needs to be preserved even on a busy week absolutely i i feel like self-reflection uh is yes it, it helped me come it, it it's what gets me to work every single day it it reminds me of my purpose and my why and you know sometimes self-reflection i i like to i definitely like to write i i don't write my self-reflection every day sometimes it's just me thinking and talking to myself mm -hmm. so for me uh you know i use Obviously, I, I use an electronic calendar. I use Google Calendar, as many educators do. And what I, I, I have a big whiteboard in my office. So what I do is I open up my Google Classroom and I literally write all the things that are in my Google Calendar. And I, in my Google calendar, I even write, I just don't write appointments. Like I block off time. Yeah. I block off time to work and I'll specifically name it of what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I write my list on the whiteboard and I put a box so that way I could check it off. And so at the end of the day, what I do is I just sit in my chair and I chill on my chair, eating my lunch at the same time, <laughs> most likely. And I'm just looking at the whiteboard and I'm looking at all my checks and I'm looking at all my unmarked boxes. And so I, I just go through the reflection of, all right, why? was I not able to accomplish all these things? Is it okay that I didn't accomplish these things because were these things a priority? Or, all right, yeah, this was a priority. Like I need to make sure that I change things up because this, this does need to get done because that one right there that I finished really wasn't all like, it wasn't all that serious. So, um, so yeah, I didn't write anything down. This is like this whole process, just mm -hmm. sitting on, in a chair. Mm -hmm. So. For sure. And that actually transitions really well too to the last one. So number seven is self-care. And the only way that we can really truly ask ourselves these important questions or sit back in a chair and look at what we've accomplished in a day is by taking care of ourselves and making sure that we are implementing things that help us recharge um, and understanding the difference between um, self-care and like you said, Christina, which will share a story about self-soothing, but also I like to add even just the difference between self-care and wellness and taking care of our well-being. Um, so I think, you know, one, it's important to understand the difference first. So why don't you share that story, Christina? Yes. So about two weeks ago, I was visiting a dear friend, Lisa Rothbard. Shout out to Lisa Rothbard. Hey, Lisa. Who's also in education. And, you know, we were just catching up and we were sharing our self-care and I was listing things that I, that I felt was self-care. Like I was like, well, I like to open up a bottle of wine. I like to drink old fashions. And <laughs> when I can, I like to take a trip to Paso Robles. Um, to go wine tasting. To go wine tasting. <laughs> and so she was like, okay, She's like, just food for thought for you, but are those self examples of self-care or examples of self-soothing? And I was like, ooh. I, that was like mic drop, right? Mm -hmm. And so she did continue to say like, absolutely self-soothing. Things to do that are self-soothing are absolutely important. 
But if we're thinking about the long run, we really need to think about our self-care. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just looking forward to Paso Robla, she's like, Christina, you, you pick up your wine every six months. So what, you're just, your, your quote, unquote, self-care is once every six months. Mm-hmm. And that, that just brought me back to uh, Ms. Calderon, Principal mm-hmm. Calderon, and, and her podcast episode, and how she shared that her self-care is every day. Right. It's not 40 days of self-care. It's not self-care summer. It's self-care every day. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are you doing? How are you setting time for yourself every day? Mm-hmm. Or in other words, in, on a regular basis. When I think too, like this whole concept of self-care has turned into like, it just feels more like a, like a, a tagline now. Like, you know, I don't know. Where it's like, you know, self-care isn't getting a massage I mean, it could be, but I mean, it doesn't have to be something that you even like spend money on. It doesn't have to be like getting a manicure, pedicure, like it doesn't have to be that, you know? And that's why I like to think of it in terms of like your wellness, like how are you protecting your well-being? Because you want to do these, you want to engage in these things on a regular basis that is part of your practice. It's not something that you add to your to-do list. It's part of your practice. It's what you do to take care of yourself, mind, body, soul, Mm -hmm. so that you can show up to be your best self the next day. And the day after that, the month after that, the school year after that, you know what I'm saying? Like it has to be something that helps you thrive and not just survive. And so that's where I kind of feel like that glass of wine or that bottle of wine helps you survive. It helps you get through that hard week or you know celebrate something that happened at that moment in time but really looking at what it is that we engage in to help us thrive and so some examples of taking care of my wellness lately has been like leaving at my contractual like end of work time you know that's one way to protect your wellness um having like a peaceful morning routine. My, my coffee in the morning, because I make it, you know, special. Those types of things where it's like, what are the things that help you be your best self and show up every day? And that's one thing that especially school leaders need to think about and implement because I mean, right now I see like my administrators are exhausted Mm-hmm. and I'm not even going to get on this whole conversation about the need of, of getting your full night of sleep. Mm. I'm not going to start there. Cause I know like that's a hard one, but just really like taking care of yourself, just the basic needs, but also, you know, really interest intrinsic. I can never say that word intrinsically, like what it is that you need to be your best self. And sometimes it means like writing them out, like having a list handy and then seeing like, oh, I can do this because it's only going to take me 15 seconds and it's going to make me feel good and give me that like instant feel good that I need. Um, And so like really going back to that, just like we would tell our students or our staff and Christina, you're guilty of this too, because I know you were telling your staff something and you weren't even following it at that time. Um, but it's, it's really like modeling what it is that we're asking others to do, especially in the position of being a school leader. Absolutely. And with that said, Christina, this, this is how we like to wrap up our episodes. So why don't we do that in talking about self-care and what has it been look like, like what has it looked like for you since our last podcast? Nothing. That, that, that's what it's been looking like. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Like, I'm not even trying to lie. No exercise. No reading for pleasure. I, I have not picked up a book or a novel like in three weeks. Have you prayed? Oh, that I do. See, so there um, are some I, things. I do. I, I, I pray, but I feel like I'm not praying the way that I 
truly want to pray. I, I think right now I'm praying for the sake of praying, mm -hmm. but it's not quality. But it, it's, uh, as I said, as I mentioned in the introduction of this episode, I, I mean, I don't want to word it like this, that things are calming down because um, I think what I truly meant to say is like, I, I know what to expect. I know my limits and I know what I need to do to tackle the day. So I really want to see how that goes this week because I realize I, I do need to start the self-care because this is exhausting because what I've been doing for the past three weeks, it, it's not sustainable. Mm -mm. So I need to figure something out. Well, at least you're aware. Yeah. But what about you, Aline? So since the last episode, I've been really setting strict boundaries with work. Um, and that's, that's been extremely helpful because it's helping me focus in on getting my job done and going home and being a mom and a partner. Um, and the last, and another thing that I started doing that I feel has been super helpful is on days that I don't have like a, a meeting with you or recording a podcast episode or teaching a class because I just started teaching a class at Cal State East Bay. Um, well, even on those nights, to be honest with you, like even if it's 30 minutes before bed, I try to do an hour, but I don't look at my phone. I'm not on a computer. And I'm either journaling or I'm like reading some type of book or magazine, or sometimes I'm just like relaxing, mm -hmm. not doing anything um, and giving myself that time to decompress before going to sleep because I find that I sleep better that way. Um, and I also started using like these essential oils for bed to like really help me go into a nice like sleep where I'm not constantly waking up or like going through my to-do list. And um, I'll post the information too on the essential oils because I do like, I like, it's a small business, um, woman owned uh, Latina who makes these essential oils. And I don't know, it's like magic. I am for real, they, it helps me sleep so much better. Does she have but, eucalyptus? That's my favorite. I'm sure she does, Christina. I'll got it. I'll ask her. Got eucalyptus or rosemary. Mm-hmm. But the blend, whatever she puts together, anyways, it's amazing. And so just little things like that to help me get the like most restful sleep, because I find that that helps me the next day not be so I want to say maybe moody or cranky or short tempered. <laughs> um so yeah so we'll we'll check in with christina next time to see kind of what you've implemented the next time when it comes to self-care just being aware that it doesn't always have to look the same it doesn't have to be working out it doesn't have to be reading a book it could be something different even if it lasts for 15 seconds it's just understanding what brings us that sense of joy that calm or really gives us the time to rest so thank you all for joining us, joining us in this conversation. We hope you took something away from it. Please continue to support the work that we're doing um, by doing a few things for us. Please, please, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them and rate and review. This is how we grow. We really appreciate it. Share with a friend, text it to them, ask them to listen to it, a colleague, something that stood out to you. Um, and get them to listen as well. Follow us on Instagram at the, and Facebook at Empowered Conversations Pod and visit our bookshop. So check out what we have curated and supported independent bookstore at the same time. The link for all of that is in our show notes. So thanks y'all. Looking forward to next time. Bye y'all. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Empowered Conversations Pod. 
Check out our content and engage in a conversation with us through the comments or DMs. Also, please help us grow and share this with your friends, colleagues, as well as post on your social media. We look forward to next time. Take it easy.